Now, back to uh, the book of Romans. Um, we're in the uh, 15th chapter. We're in the last verse. And I kind of saved it. I kind of set it apart because it's, um, it's a particular brand of statement in the New Testament. Um, if, you, um, if you're a student of Pauline epistles, you realize that um, uh, Paul ends every one of his epistles with a benediction. Uh, and in verse 33 is where we, may the God of peace be with you all. Amen. He, he, he ends all of his epistles with a benediction. But in the book of Romans, very interestingly, one of the unique things about the book of Romans is that there's not just one benediction, nor two, nor three, nor four. There are five. Five benedictions in, in the book of Romans. The first one is in uh, chapter 11. Um, uh, the last couple of verses of chapter 11. Um, then you find one here in um, uh, 1513, where he says, May the God of hope uh, fill you with all joy and believing with the power that you may be bound in hope. And then the one that I've just read you in verse 33. And then you find another in uh, the verse 20 of chapter 16, where he says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And then, of course, he closes the book with another one um, in verses 25 through 27. Um, it's, it's like, I, I mean, I can't, I can't dogmatize this, but it seems like what's happening, um, in the apostle Paul is that he is, he's, he's about to wrap things up and he, and he, and he enters into this benediction and then he remembers, oh, wait a minute, there's something else I want to say. So he, he goes some more, he goes some more and then he, and he, he, he concludes that and he writes another benediction and it's like, ah, I forgot something. So he, he keeps adding things, and that's why you find not one, not two, not three, not four, not, but five benedictions in the, in, the, uh, in the book of Romans. Now, uh, one of the names that I, I've used around here quite often is uh, Donald Gray Barnhouse. Um, Barnhouse was uh, the pastor at 10th Prez in Philadelphia for just years and uh, had a great radio show and is in print several times. But um, in his commentary on the book of Romans, he... Um, he talks about this one, the one that we've got tonight, uh, verse 33, being the greatest of all the five in the book of Romans. And the reason that he gave is that it, it has to do with peace. May the God of peace be with you. Amen. Um, and because peace is such an important thing, he, he concludes, I guess, that uh, it's the, the greatest of the benedictions in the book of Romans. Um, you know how many people we lost in World War One? How many people were killed in World War One? Twenty million. You know how many people were killed in World War Two? Sixty million. <laughs> um, there was a statistic that I saw that in 1992. Now that's not too old. That's a 21-year-old statistic. That in the year of 1992, there were 93 wars going on around the world in 1992. 93 wars. Um, we're in a situation globally right now that if uh, a madman um, decides to um, assert himself, uh, there's no telling how many lives are going to be lost on the Korean Peninsula. Um, and, and I told Susie the other day, it, it seems to me that the, 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 uh, the real motive behind him, of course, what do I know, but 
is that he's jealous. I mean, he looks at South Korea and he sees how uh, that, that part of the peninsula has just soared. And then he looks at his garbage dump called a country. And um, so he, he, if he can't have it, he wants to, nobody to have it. But, but anyway, there's just no, seems to be there's no end to the peace initiatives that have gone on just in that one country, just in that one place called North Korea or us trying to keep him from pushing a button. Um, guys, the immediate cause uh, of all those um, flaps, perhaps wars, is that people are not at peace themselves. Um, they're not content um, and, and always looking for some way to increase their own power or wealth at somebody, else exp- somebody else's expense. I want to read you a masterful statement made by uh, James. And, and I don't really don't know how you improve on this statement. Um, listen to what he says. These are just two verses in James chapter 4. You've heard these before. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? I mean, that's a pretty clear question. And then he answers it. Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Uh, that that word uh, passions is um, is a word that can mean lusts, but uh, that's a good translation. But your passions are within. Why, why, are there, why is there such fighting? Well, because is it not? Does it not have something to do with the with the passions that are inside you? Um, is it not th- that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Um, that, that kind of sums it up, guys. Um, we've, got a, we've got a world at war. We've got a world at, well, it's certainly without peace. Um, because we're simply not content and we want some more wealth, some more power, some more something. You know, um, one of the names that I've used around here a couple of times, and, and I don't think y'all know this name very well, and I really don't know how to pronounce his first name. It's B-L-A-I-S-E. Now, somebody, his last name is Pascal. Um, and I used, I talked about Pascal's wager not too long ago. But um, his first name is Blaze or Blase or something like that. But one of the things that he said that I have just, I snicker at every time I see it. But he says, in this, and I'm quoting him, he says, I have often felt that the sole cause of men's unhappiness is that he does not know how to stay quietly in his own room. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? You know, we just don't know how to say, we don't know how to enjoy just being in our own room, you know, by ourselves. We've got to have something else, you know. And, and as a result of that, not knowing how to, to, to stay quietly in my own room, um, we begin all kinds of fights and quarrels and yada, yada, yada. Um, now, guys, I would suggest to you that the real reason really goes beyond our own personal restlessness. Um, um, the real reason is that people are at war with God. And they refuse to, uh, to recognize and yield to his demands in their lives. Um, people are at war with God and thus, thus, thus they're um, at war with each other. Now, I, I say all that just by way of introduction because there's, there's, a, there's three things that I want to point out about peace. Because the, the Bible speaks of uh, about three kinds of peace. 
that are really um, the result of doing something vertical. Okay, um, that that wasn't well said, but it, 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 three kinds of peace that have to do with God. Okay, um, first of all. Um, 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 that is not that crooked. Um, <laughs> that's just not fair. Um, the, the first thing has to do with the peace with God. Okay, that's um, um, Romans 5.1. Take a look at that. I mean, it's, um, it's a great statement that many of you have, have probably memorized before. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, isn't that a great statement? Peace with God. Um, there's, you don't need to turn, but you might, if you're taking notes, you can write. This is Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. Uh, For in him, that is Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him, that is Christ, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Making peace by the blood of his cross. Um, we are no longer rebels. Um, in Christ. We're sons. Non-Christians are still at war. We are no longer at war. Peace has been established by the blood of his cross. So that's, that's a peace that's, that's fundamental to all others. Uh, it's, it's the reason I think Barnhouse thinks this is the best of all the benedictions. Because peace has been established between us and God. All right. The other has to do, with, uh, or our second one, is a peace with one another. And for Paul, this was a this was a big deal. And I want to show it. I want to show you what a big deal it was. Um, it's it's one of the important themes of the book of Ephesians, particularly Ephesians two. Now, guys, before I read that, I, I need to, I want to tell you a, just, I, I want to draw you a little picture. Um, because in, in Paul's mind and in Paul's world, there was a great, big, visible symbol of the hostility that existed between people. Um, b- between Gentiles and Jews, um, that, that just stared everybody in the face. And it had to do with the Jewish temple. Now, guys, I'm not going to draw this thing real good because I'm not, I'm not at all an artist. And, and, and we know certain things about the Jewish temple. We know that this was the holiest of the holies back here in the Ark of the Covenant and the cherubims on, you know, with their wings and all that. And this was called the holy place right here. And, and um, you know, they did the, the altar of incense and the table of showbread and whatever. That was the temple. Everybody knows that part. Um, this is the part where I really get bad. I mean, that, I, that I'm real comfortable with. It's so excellently done. Uh, but did you know that there's also um, around the temple uh, some courtyards? This was called the courtyard of the priests. And, of course, you had to be Aaronic and the Aaronic priesthood to, to enter the, the, um, the court of the priests. And there was another one, another court. And, and again, I don't know how these things were architecturally done. I'm just kind of drawing them. There was another courtyard um, 
around the, the temple, and it was called the Court of Israel. And to get into that one, you had to be a Jew, of course, but you had to be a man. Women couldn't get that, couldn't go there. Uh, so you, you had to be a priest to get there, you had to be a man to get here. And then there was, after that one, there was another one. Another courtyard, and this was called the Courtyard of the Women. Now, you had to be a Jewish woman, but a woman could get to that one. And then this, this whole thing, by the way, the, 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 the temple that Paul was looking at was the one that was built by Herod the Great. Um, it was to replace the one that Nehemiah built. If you've ever studied the book of Nehemiah, that's the one that was built by Nehemiah. Well, Herod the Great replaced it and it was, and it was built up on this raised ground, which is called the Temple Mountain. Some of you have been up on the Temple Mount. It's not there anymore, but, uh, that's, that was where it was built. I mean, the Muslims have got it now, but, um, but anyway, uh, so you got all these courtyards. You got the priest, you got the Israel, you got the women. And then, um, then there were, there was this five foot drop. Now, I don't even know how to draw that. Um, but there were a, a five-foot drop, um, you know, lower, and a big wall was around all that. And then there was a level place. And then another 14 paces further down was another wall, five-foot high. And at every one of these places, like at every one of these little walls... There was these there was these signs on there and said um, you know kind of like our trespassers will be persecuted, but in in this language it will if you come in here as a gentile we're going to kill you. That was the sign, not exactly, but that was the that was the message. So that was that was the visible symbol of what existed in the in the mind of Paul. You remember he comes in the uh, in Ephesians chapter um, uh, chapter three, um, and he says. Uh, I have been appointed as this, this, this apostle to the Gentiles. And, and No, no, he didn't say that first. He says, I've got this great mystery. Look at it. It's in Ephesians chapter 3. Um, um, assuming that you have, verse 2, heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. How the mystery, you see it, was made known to me by revelation. As I have written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive I'm, I'm saying, into the mystery. And then down in verse 6, he tells you what the mystery is. The mystery is that Gentiles are fellow heirs. Here you've got this big old ugly system of things saying, Gentiles, keep out. And by the way, I mean, did you, I told you it was five feet here and then there was another 14 feet down. So, you know, 20 feet above you, 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 you get, I mean, once you get to the wall, it's still 20 feet above you. Is, is this all this business? And you got walls here, you know, you can't come in there and you can't come in there and you can't come in there. And then, uh, you know, of course you wouldn't want to go in there. And do you remember, do you remember, um, I think it's in Matthew 27 when Jesus was crucified and, and all of a sudden they, they showed up at the, at the holiest, the holiest to, you know, to redo the showbread and something had happened with that veil and it was ripped apart. I mean, that was scandal. I mean, it was more than scandal. It was, it was, uh, not only can Jews now get back here, I mean, Oh, Jewish woman of all things. But the Gentiles now have access. Oh, that's unthinkable. In, in Paul's mind, there is this symbol of hostility that is staring at everybody right in the center of, Jer- uh, of uh, Jerusalem. 
just just communicating this wall, this barrier, this wall of hostility. Now, look at look at um, chapter two. This is in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter two, beginning at verse fourteen. I'll read you five verses. This is two fourteen. For he himself is our peace. By the way, peace is mentioned four times in these five verses. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both want, who has made us both, you know who the both is, that'd be Jews and Gentiles, one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. These things shouted hostility. And as a result, um, uh, he himself, our peace, has broken down all these things. Keep reading. By abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself. One new man in place of the two, Jews and Gentiles, so making peace and might reconcile us both, Jews and Gentiles, to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off, Gentiles, and peace to those who are near, Jews. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. That's that, that's this thing's gone too. And now not only do Jews have access to the Father, so do the Gentiles. Guys, that's a theme. Of the Pauline apostolic message. The removing of hostility between believers. Um, in, in Paul's mind, there was no wall quite so impassable than the walls that existed between Jews and Gentiles. Um, and now, uh, he's made peace in his blood and so there's no more barriers to, God, barriers to God. And Paul says, I have been appointed to explain that mystery to you. There it is. 3.6. The mystery is that Gentiles are fellow heirs. That's just one of the parts of the peace that is established, guys. Um... It's part of the peace of being a believer. That I, that the hostility between me and, and other believers um, of a different race, of a different socioeconomic category or class, um, that was an abomination in the mind of Paul because the finished work of Christ had abolished all that. Um, now, um, so there was a peace with God established uh, um, uh, between, because of Christ's spilled blood. But then that, that peace that has now been established is supposed to also 
be reflected in all this gone. All that's got to go. Um, boy, I hope it is gone. Um, all right, but there's another, there was a third part of the piece that's mentioned in the scriptures. And, I, and again, I want, you to, I want you to see it first. Um, it's in Philippians, and you've seen this before, I bet. Um, six and seven, I think, uh, maybe eight and nine. Um, but it's in Philippians four. It's, see if you can find that real fast. Um, yeah, it's six and seven. Um, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God. Now, guys, um, this is a peace with God. <laughs> this is a peace of God. And, and I'm telling you, um, I, I would dare say that we are, we are pretty much theologically uh, embracive of this and have this pretty much down. That is, we know that because of the finished work of Christ, there's, there's no more enmity between us and God. And in, in large measure, I don't think this church is, is, I hope I'm right about this, I don't think we're, we're, um, we're ever going to be guilty of racism. I don't think, I, I, or anti-Semitism, or, you know, I, I surely can't imagine that. Um, and I, so I think we got this one down. But, it comes to this one. How'd you sleep last night? <laughs> I mean, um, this was settled, you know, when we became a Christian, you know, 22 years ago. Um, this we kind of realized once uh, we got, we kind of started thinking through the implications of the gospel. Yeah, that's, that's kind of okay. We got that one down. But boy, are we deficient on this. Aren't we? Um, um, you know, all those upsetting situations that happen in our lives that rob us of the peace of God. Hey, y'all know the name uh, Elizabeth Elliot. Elizabeth Elliot, um, you know, had her husband killed by the Aka Indians. Uh, you know, she's written several books, and you probably read several of them. Um, you do know that she remarried and then lost that husband to a grueling form of cancer. You, you did know that. And if I'm not mistaken, baby, didn't, didn't she remarry again and lose a third one? But, but this was written, what I'm about to read. Um, so she's lost three husbands. You know, one, one by the Aka Indians, one by cancer, and who knows what this other one is. I think she's decided that was the last one. But um, this was written after the second one. Uh, after her, she'd, she'd experienced a husband murdered by Aka Indians, and then she remarried and then watched her husband die of cancer. And she said this, and I just think it is so cool because I think you're going to love it. She, um, she said, losing the death of a husband was like having an egg beater suddenly thrust into the mixing bowl of my emotional life. Don't you love that? It was like suddenly having an egg beater thrust into the mixing bowl of my emotional life. 
You know, um, there's this great psalm. Um, it really is a great psalm, guys, and, and I commend it to you. It's Psalm 46. But in Psalm 46, the psalmist says this, um, Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. And Elizabeth Elliot said um, that that time where she lost her second husband was when the earth seemed to be giving way and the waters were roaring and the mountains were being cast into the sea. The very opposite of what the psalm said. Um, I appreciate that candor. Um, but ladies and gentlemen, I wonder if you are presently experiencing an egg beater suddenly thrust into the mixing bowl of your emotional life. Is it your turn? Because this is what you're going to long for. This is what you're going to... Um, it's that piece. Not, I mean, you know, we got this down, we got this is okay, you know, we're not racist. But it's the peace of God, you know, the, you know, that thing that's supposed to surpass all understanding that, that is absent in so many of our difficult situations confronting us. Now, I want to make one other point, and I'll quit. Um, because it seems to me, this is kind of a new observation for me, because I've never really connected these two things, um, but maybe I should have long before now. But um, uh, he starts in verse 6 by saying, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God and the peace of God. Do, do you see how he connects this peace of God with your prayer life? That's my new observation. <laughs> But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And when that is being done, the peace of God will surpass all, will, surpass, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. There's a sense in which, I guess, ladies and gentlemen, that this peace is not something um, that you're ever going to get until you ask for it, until you long for it, until you yearn for it. But this is the piece that makes that makes so much difference in the living out of our lives that is absent in so many of us from time to time and really too many times. Uh, I'll close with this. The, um, I was hunting around a book yesterday and I, I found this quote. I've seen this quote before. Um, C.S. Lewis was talking about the church and um, C.S. Lewis, as you all know, we quote him around here all the time, was a pretty bright boy. And um, if you read anything by C.S. Lewis, uh, if you haven't, start with Mere Christianity and read that. And then Screwtape's Letters, that, that's next. Um, but anyway, um, um, C.S. Lewis did not like going to church. And... One of the reasons that he did not like going to church is the hymnody of the church. C.S. Lewis said that the hymnody, the songs that we sang in the church, 
was fifth-rate poetry put to sixth-rate music. Um, and, and, you know, when you're that smart, I guess some of the poetry that, you know, is, um, is in our hymnody might just turn you off. I guess I, I've never really noticed that it was fifth rate poetry to sixth rate because I don't know music and I don't know poetry, but he probably knew both of them. And so he, he just found it just, just difficult. He did get over it by the way, saying that the thing that made that fifth rate poetry and that to sixth rate music. Uh, meaningful is that people had such devotion while singing it. And so he, he got beyond his own offenses with, uh, with Christian hymnody but, um, that way. But he, he still uh, critiqued the church as having, you know, poor, poor poetry and poor music. And maybe we do. Maybe we do. I, I don't know. But there is, um, there is one song um, that I think is excellent poetry. Now, I don't know about the music to the thing, But the poetry, I thought, I think, is really good. (laughs) I don't think C.S. Lewis would agree with me, but... um, And it's a song that we used to sing, and and it's... um, uh, We don't sing it much around here, but... uh, And and I really thought it was a Fanny Crosby hymn. It's not good old Fanny Crosby. I mean, what would we do with one of our greatest hymn writers having a name like Fanny, you know? Um, (laughs) But anyway, it wasn't... Fanny Crosby. It's a guy by the name of Joseph Scriven. And, um, and I'm going to sing it. I'm going to sing one stanza. And uh, you might not like the music, but just listen to the poetry. The poetry, I think, is, is pretty good. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry. Everything to God in prayer. That's this next line. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All Because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. I thought of that, that line, oh, what peace we often forfeit. When I connected this verse 6 with verse 7, this peace seems to be something that apparently we're going to have to ask for. And we're going to have to yearn for, it's going to have to be a part of the ongoing, everyday, diligently sought, yearned for um, requests of our prayer life. God, my son-in-law doesn't have a job. Would you give me peace? God, um... My granddaughter is facing a very ugly, radical piece of surgery. God, would you grant me peace? Um, Guys, that may be fifth-rate poetry. But there is a profound truth being communicated. 
Because you and I are forfeiting And I can tell you why, at least in part. We are miserable at this thing called prayer. Now, Joseph Scriven, I guess, knew that. And we need to be reminded. We're forfeiting this, ladies and gentlemen. Um, But in everything in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And request number one is, Could I have that? Would you give me some of that? Uh, Tonight, when I'm uh, consumed by worries about tomorrow morning when I head to the office and Satan's fangs seem to be bigger at night than in the daytime, would you give me some of that? Um, We're deficient in that stuff, are we not? Well, there's a little bit of instruction as to how it might be gotten. Our Father, I do pray that you will um, work in us that which is supernaturally granted. It is supernaturally gotten. It is supernaturally imparted. It is something that is uh, beyond um, understanding. And it is something that the God... um, between whom there has been peace established because of the blood of Christ, uh, is now available to us because access has been uh, given us because Jesus Christ has broken down all walls of hostility. So we come. We come in the name of our Savior and we ask for that which we so desperately need. Just Just a fresh supply of grace just to face the night. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, guys, and good night.